Welcome to Invest Stories. Whether you're a seasoned pro looking for that next step or a newbie investor not sure where to start, Invest Stories unlocks the mindset, strategies, and techniques of high performers across business, real estate, and investing to help you level up your journey to financial freedom. This is Invest Stories. Booyah! Oh, ran out, ran out of air. Yeah, that was drawn out there. I heard that one. <laughs> Welcome to the Investories podcast with me, John Hooper, your host, and my co-host Kyle Robertson. Co-host. Co-host. Uh, yeah. How you doing, Kyle? Good man. Not doing too bad. How about you? Good. Yeah. The sun. Actually, the sun's not out. I was going to say the sun's out. No, it's not. Is it not? It's, it's a, San Diego. It's a gray day down in San Diego. Yeah. No way. I don't know what's going on. Yeah. I, don't, yeah. I haven't seen clouds in like six weeks up here in Oregon. It's ridiculous. Just heat wave after heat wave. I mean, it's barely reaching below 90 on a daily basis, which is just insane for Oregon. Kyle, as much as I love talking about the weather as a British man, um, <laughs> we have something important to talk about, which is our YouTube channel. Oh, who doesn't love YouTube? I love YouTube. If you're listening to this, go on, go on YouTube, actually click the link in the show notes, efficient, we'll do it for you, and go subscribe, watch a video, like it, help us to monetize, and hopefully we're adding value, so help, you know, help us help you, and we'll know that you like it, and you can keep adding value. And if you're watching this on YouTube, like and subscribe. Keep doing that. It's right there. Just click it. Yeah. It's really Just low effort. Just a button. Yeah. So anyway, that, that aside, what, what have you been up to this week? Oh, my wife's doing a garage sale right now. So wow. I'm at the office. <laughs> she's, is she selling all of your things? All of the things. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're getting ready to move because oh. uh, we're not really getting ready to move. We still got a few months yet, but we're trying to downgrade all of the stuff, you know, that accumulates. Just get rid of it all. And uh, well, because we, because of course we have to buy new stuff because it's a new house, right? Can't, Don't can't bring it. anything over from the old house because that would just be sacrilege, but. Yeah. Anyways, she's she's selling all of our stuff and um, like all the stuff that we don't use, I guess, for the most part. So I'm I'm hanging out at the office trying to stay out of that madness. Keep keeping a low profile. Yeah. Like what about you? What have you been up to the uh, last however long it's been since we recorded last? I, I, yeah, I've been doing a bit of deal analysis. Oh. I've been um, analyzing a seller finance deal, and then I've been finding out that actually the seller financing has gone away. So I see. that's interesting. Uh, and yeah, just running some numbers and trying to buy something. Where's this place which at? It's kind of exciting. It is in Ohio. Ohio. Cashflow Ohio. Yeah. I like it. Okay. What'd you like about Ohio? Yeah. Uh, so I like my, uh, my preferred strategy is going to be the hybrid between midterm and long-term. Okay. So kind of a flex of a building. Uh, and I have uh, family in Ohio or or wife's family in Ohio. So I know kind of contacts there. Uh, there's a couple of people I know in real estate there. So I kind of have boots on the ground to, um, to kind of help me out there. So that's one piece. The other piece is a little bit of cash flow, a uh, little bit of, <laughs> I guess, a punt on rolling the dice on a, a growing, <laughs> a growing population in certain cities. Uh, but there's a couple of areas I, I really like the look of. So uh, yeah, that's been the, the driver really. I haven't heard a lot of people talk bad about Ohio from an investing standpoint. Um, we've had a handful of people on here, some syndicators who are from Ohio. Um, and, and I think that most, a lot of people are focusing over there on that area. So maybe I'll have to go over there and give you some competition, John. I don't know. We'll see. At least get me, let me get started, Kyle. Come on. <laughs> now, screw the competition. We'll just partner. Let's just partner. Yeah. yeah that sounds yeah. good. I'll find you a good deal. Competitions for the birds. Yeah. <laughs> 
No, that's fine. Um, and if you're in Ohio or anywhere else in the world, why not check out our Instagram, Investories uh, Pod at Instagram. No, that's that's our web, that's our email. Forget that. Yeah, email us investoriespodcast at gmail.com. That was what, that was my other oh. little note. Uh, if you have any questions or want to hear about a topic or want to come on the show and ask questions, maybe you have questions for Kyle. Oh, that would be a good segment, questions for Kyle. Ooh. And um, you can check us out on Instagram. Yeah. Investories Pod would be a good Instagram handle to get hold of us and ask questions for Kyle. So if you have any questions, let us know. Uh, Kyle, who have we got on the show today? So we have Jesse Wynn. Jesse Wynn is a good buddy of mine. Um, we've been investor buddies for the last couple of years and met up over in uh, in Hawaii a couple of times and and went through some some training programs over there which was fantastic and we just stayed in contact you know when you when you get into these these mastermind groups and and uh, you know, master class groups whatever you want to call them you know you, you you bond some very deep relationships with people and um, Jesse and I have have somewhat stayed in contact and just kind of follow each other's stories mostly through social media. And I wanted to get him on and, and kind of see where he's at and what he's doing because you know two years ago his business wasn't big but he's he's grown exponentially since then and uh, he does run a, a wholesale company uh, with a total of six employees and uh, he talks about how he got his start into that and also still having some time for investing in his own personal portfolio and uh, he's got some really interesting things to say some great things to say and uh, some profound things to say as you'll as you'll hear in the recording so check this one out. Yeah, a lot of authenticity, a lot about values and, and kind of living those values and, and not kind of compromising them. Yeah. And also really cool like mindset, how he kind of got started and kind of hustled really in the in the interim to kind of get started. Yeah. So there's a lot of lessons to take away from like such a such a kind of um, broad worldview rather than kind of how narrow we often are uh, in formative years. So, uh, yeah, without further ado, here's Jesse. And welcome to the Investories Podcast. We have Jesse Nguyen here with us today. Jesse, thanks for coming on the show, man. Yeah, thanks a lot, Kyle. Appreciate it, man. So I've, I've, for the for the listeners, I've known Jesse for, man, it's going on two years now, I guess, right? Isn't that when we had our, our first our first big meeting over there on the on the Maui, I think it was, right? Yeah, summer <laughs> of 2021. I can't believe it's been that long. I know, right? right? I know, man. A lot of things have changed in the last couple of years. I'm kind of excited to get into your story and let our listeners listen to to what you've done and where you've gone and and some of the some of the life changes that you've had over the last couple of years. Um, if you wouldn't mind just kind of giving us the broad strokes and and background and how you got to where you're at, Jesse, uh, just kind of give us the the once over for for all of our listeners. Yeah, for sure. So currently I live in Delaware. I've been living here since 2011. And over the last 12 years, this place has kind of exploded and a ton of new things have come in. And like the one, I grew up in the University of Delaware town. So I've watched that place go from like, you know, really small buildings to now having multiple hotels on the main strip. It's kind of insane. But for the most part, the people who go to the University of Delaware, they're from like PA, New Jersey, uh, New York, like, Long Island, Staten Island people. It's just like, I I went to college at a at University of Delaware, which is basically like a regional school where I studied entrepreneurship. It's kind of silly because it's like, why do you need a study to be an entrepreneur? But one of the big things at that moment was I didn't really know what I was going to do with my life. In high school, towards the back end, uh, my uncle was talking to me about nutrition, how it was going to be like a booming field. So I actually 
applied for the nutrition major, even applied to go to Tufts University, which is top tier ranked school. But it was also like, I don't know, 60 to 80,000. I forgot what, what the exact cost was per year. And then I had I had read Rich Dad, Poor Dad that summer, along with like 25 to 30 other books. I read a whole ton the summer of 2017, going into my freshman year of college. And it completely transformed my mindset. And I decided I'm going to stay in Delaware, in which I changed over to do nutrition at Delaware. And then before the classes even started, I just switched into entrepreneurship because I didn't want to be uh, an undeclared business major. So then, you know, I went into study entrepreneurship and one of the big draws that I didn't even know that they had, but what kept me around was there was actually a guy who he had been part of a company that had started the whole revolution of RFID technology. And he had exited a nine figure company. <laughs> and I was like, this guy is just volunteering wow. his time to teach these students, you know, about entrepreneurship, talk about this customer discovery, talk about if you're even, if your solution is even viable, is it even something that people want, or is it just a nice to have? So, you know, a lot of people joke around talk about, you know, why do you need to go study entrepreneurship, just go out there and get after it. But really, I think it laid some good base work for me in terms of networking, for one part, which everyone talks about the networking in college, but the second part was understanding product market fit, you know, and uh, I think that even applies within real estate because there's many different types of products, whether you're in lending or investing or being a realtor, there's a lot of different types of products. There's a lot of different customers. You need to find a fit. You need to find your niche. Makes and, a lot of sense. You know, I'm, really, I'm, really, I'm really grateful that all these lessons kind of happened to me. I didn't intentionally plan it out. So, so yeah, and that's I, I, I'd like to interrupt you for a second and, and just ask, because we've, we've had a handful of people on here uh, who are college educated. And uh, that's it's a super fascinating question that, that I have. I, I also have a college degree. And um, regardless of my own feelings of it, it's kind of almost mixed 50-50, John, I'd, I'd say, where people are thinking they're either it's a good idea or it was a bad idea or it was a waste of money or they got so much experience and knowledge out of you know, maybe not the specific field that they were studying in, but just the experiences of being in college and learning from people, you know, different perspectives that it was 100% worth it. Was your college life in hindsight, Jesse, do you feel like, I mean, would you do it over again if you had to do it again? Oh, 100% I would do it over again because one of my biggest value that I got from college was being part of a Christian ministry where, you know, five of the guys who are part of my wedding, you know, my best man and my groomsmen, all part of that college ministry. I've met some of the best people who were also in alignment with me in terms of core values and growth mindset that I could have ever met. And they didn't even do business, but they always challenged me, you know, to find a deeper meaning and purpose in the things that I was doing and making sure that I was actually working towards something that was actually fulfilling, glorifying to God and ultimately filled my soul. That's, that's so I love that. I love the, the the fulfillment piece and kind of finding kindred people is is really interesting. That was certainly my college experience. I'm not sure I would um, would trade it. Uh, I, I do wonder, is there a real estate investing um, degree? I wonder if that exists. It probably should do, right? It definitely does exist somewhere <laughs> does. out there, but not in my college. We actually had a real estate investment class, but the guy who had taught the class was more so one of those old boys 
uh, club type of guys. <laughs> and it's just like, it's not like the, the type of meetup that I run nowadays where we're just constantly giving and giving and giving and trying to get people their first deal and trying to build that financial freedom or help them figure out their goals, you know? So it's not what it is today. No, I think that I, I, I'm kind of new in the real estate. I'm late to the real estate space, I guess, is the is the better way to frame it. Um, one thing you said was really interesting. And I think this is like when you're young, but also like any time in life is rich dad, poor dad comes up with us a, a ton. Right. So many people uh, read that book and that's kind of the catalyst. And you said you then dived into kind of tons of other books. Yeah. what like what was the kind of driver behind that was it like a switch in mindset was it getting serious was there because a, a young age to kind of take that on board is is kind of impressive to to kind of distill that down yeah i think one of the biggest drivers to me reading all those different books where i wanted to understand who i was develop my own set of values in addition to figuring out where is my place in this world in terms of, okay, where am I going to develop skills that match my personality, that match the, the flow of life that I want to live? And I was just in self-discovery mode reading all those books because in this lifetime, if you just go to, say you just go to college and you just go to college just to get a degree, just to get a job, and then you got everything taken away from you would you need to invest all those years again to get back to where you are? Or would you be able to start at a totally different place based off of the skills that you built, the network, that, the relationships that you have, and what you have already accomplished, you know, that you built up to the point that you lost everything. That, you know? that's so, that is so yes. fascinating. Sorry, Carl, because no, I good. want to get on my soapbox, which Please. is I went, to a, I went to an average high school, comprehensive school in, in the UK, right? And my career's guidance was, do you want to go and work at the Honda factory? No one asked me, what are you good at? What do you want to be good at? What are you, in, what are you interested in? Uh, so I, I kind of went through IT route, sales route, went to college, all that stuff. Um, but, but it's only kind of in my later stages of, of kind of the last few years that I've been like, well, what do I like doing? What am I good at? What do I want to do? Uh, all that kind of alignment piece. And no one does that in high school um, up, which is kind of weird, right? I think there's a there's value to that. Yeah, for sure. I think people just lack the curiosity and drive. Maybe you would call it ambition. It's crazy because um, I go through this hiring phase here and there in my company. And, you know, I got some really fantastic, amazing people at my company who are very driven, have that initiative themselves. And then sometimes you come across somebody, say like just in a, outside of your company or just on the streets, or maybe you're doing a, a group project in the community or something. And then some people are just asking you such basic questions. They're just like, dude, just turn left. The answer's right over there. No, they're gonna go ask the leader. They're gonna go ask someone else whom they think has the answer. When it's literally just like, be a little bit more resourceful. I think a lot of people are just not very resourceful, which is a drawback in today's day and age. Yeah, I want to I want to reiterate something that Jesse just said that was actually pretty profound. Maybe maybe he doesn't think it, but um, he, he said matching your skills to your personality. Now, I mean, I don't think people think of it so much like that, especially when you're young. What is the one thing that young people are looking for, especially if they're thinking about college? They're they're thinking about money, right? I mean, they're thinking about all right, what's going to give me 
the best lifestyle that I can possibly get. And unfortunately, and here, here comes my soapbox. Unfortunately, everybody wants money to be at, at the top of that list. And the fact of the matter, you, you start thinking about these things more so in hindsight, once you've you know, finally gotten to the point where you're financially comfortable, but maybe you're still not happy. You're like, God, why am I not happy? Here I am just slaying it in the real estate game or in the business game. And I've just got, you know, I'm swimming in the, the, the coin silo, like Scrooge McDuck over here, but I just, I'm just absolutely miserable. It's because you didn't match your skills to your personality. You know, there's so many different ways that you can, you can complement what it is that, that you enjoy in this field that's still lucrative of, of real estate. And people just don't think of it that way. So Jesse, what did you do? What did you find that made, that actually complemented the, your personality? What skills did you find that, that helped you build this business that you're, that you're just knocking out of the park in? And, and even talk about your business, what it is specifically that you do. Yeah. So going back a couple of steps before I even went to college, I was running a lawn mowing service in the summers and it was a push mower and my parents, I'm very fortunate that my parents even had a pickup truck and they even let me take the lawn mowing equipment out and go uh, find my own clients. And I drove across town within like five to 10 mile radius. I had like 10 clients, everyone paying me $30 a pop every other week. And one of the things that I really enjoyed in doing that was being able to take initiative, being able to do the customer interface and making sure that people were happy with the work that I was providing them. And over time, having done every single aspect of the company, some not even that well, cause I'm not a super organized person, but I think I'm pretty decent when it comes to inspiring people, when it comes to hyping people up, when it comes to, uh, you know, selling a dream and a vision and getting the right people involved in order to make that happen. I think I could do all that, but in terms of organizing all the pieces in place and making sure I got all my ducks in a row, not so much. And that's why I'm grateful to have my wife right now in our current business. But, uh, you know, to, to this day, I'm sticking in my lane of what I think I do best. Right now I'm sitting in the disposition seat inside our company, uh, in which you know, I interact with the sellers in the selling of their house. And within my company, I have somebody who does acquisition in which I also partake in like the brainstorming of, Hey, what kind of extra strategy are we going to exit on? Uh, it's a small company. So we talk to each other multiple times throughout the day and make decisions together. And in the back end, I'm taking care of, um, making sure the seller has exactly what they need and that they have the logistics necessary in order to get to, to where they are. And at the end of the day, we get the house sold and my, my company is able to generate a profit in order to pay for the different roles as well as pay myself for, you know, the commission sales job. So I really do enjoy what I'm doing, even though it's crazy because the beginning of my journey, I was in real estate to pursue financial freedom. And once I hit a certain point, like super lean financial freedom, where like, I live in a quadplex right now. And then I have like, I have between like 15 and 20 doors. I don't even know what I have anymore, but it's like, <laughs> I have enough, I have enough. It's just like, I hit that point. I could have been totally comfortable, not really work much harder, maybe do like two, three flips a year, make a hundred, 150 grand and move on with my life. But I felt like I was called to a lot more in terms of leading people in terms to enriching other people's lives, helping them reach their goals 
and their dreams and, and, and making sure that, you know, they live a, you know, they push themselves to a higher standard to achieve their potential. That's what I'm really invested in. And honestly, that's what I'm building my mission around. Um, so I'm, I'm not really in real estate to make money like as the end game, as much as like how many people in terms of sellers and investors do we think we can help? You know, that's kind of the game now. That's the metric. And just for, for purposes of clarification for our listeners, wholesaling or real estate broker or both, which one are you mostly focusing on right now? Or are you just oh, doing on fix the wholesale side. on the wholesale side? And you're, do you also do yeah. fix and flips in your free time? Free, free time. Uh, What's yeah. that, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, that's part of the business. Uh, no, so I'm a partner in a general contracting company with my dad. He has three other guys Very that cool. work along with him. We do a special, it's like a, it's called like Wholesale 2.0, where we're actually novating the deals. And when I say novation, it's basically us putting a house under contract with a seller, getting a legal power of attorney to list the property, accept offers on their behalf, in which then we may make uh, certain repairs, whether they're cosmetic or structural, you know, we keep it within a $25,000 or less budget. And then we're on the back end making 2x in terms of revenue. So Interesting. You know, we'll put 25 in, we'll make anywhere between 40 and six. Like forty and eighty thousand dollars. So you're doing of all of this. Wow. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, Jesse. You're doing all of this before you list this as in a wholesale role. You you don't actually close on this property, then, correct? No, we never close it because transfer taxes in Delaware are four percent, so two percent on the seller and two percent on the buyer side. So by eliminating that, you know, transaction to us and then selling it back out, we actually are able to pay sellers more money, and then we're also able to outbid a lot of wholesalers who are just offering cash and they're one trick pony. And at the end of the day, we're actually offering a lot of value to these sellers because they like seeing us put a little bit of skin in the game. We also record a mortgage that secures our interest in the property and our paperwork mm. is very tight. So, and the expectations in the sales process is very clear. So if we were to have any type of dispute, we can always go back to the contract. We can always go back to the conversations because it's just like, Hey, Mr. Seller, weren't we committed to this entire process of getting here? And this is what we're doing. Like we try to confirm exactly what the game plan is before we even like swing a hammer at their property. Super interesting. Can can I ask about the evolution of that strategy? Because there sounds like there's a couple of things, right? In wholesaling, we're seeing like a trend in differentiation. Mm -hmm. So people are trying to do it differently for marketing reasons, essentially. It seems like there's a great spin on that, but it seems like there's more a core kind of value decision or core like, what do we want to be doing and what value do we want to be bringing kind of decision? How did that evolve, that that strategy from just pure wholesaling? We were seeing a lot of cash wholesale deals dry up within our market and we were trying to survive just on those type of deals. And unfortunately, it's like, as nice as those deals are, they don't really pay very much. It pays between five and $15,000, which may sound like a lot, but when you're running a company with six other people, it's just like, there's not a lot. Oh, and then, uh, what's it called? The old way of wholesaling people were not very transparent. They didn't really tell the seller that, Hey, I'm not your buyer. I'm actually assigning the contract and making money off of this. My buddy is going to buy it, or I'm going to send it to my list of buyers. And we had to 
we felt really uneasy about that because it went against our core values of having integrity and you know serving people and when i was challenged by that by a guy on my team i was just like you're right i don't even feel that good about it like this business kind of sucks but then we went to a mastermind down in florida called the collective genius and this guy named eric brewer who's been doing it since 2007 he's been doing this exact method but he does even less work than we do <laughs> he's just an expert salesperson <laughs> but he's been doing this method of transferring title from seller to, to end buyer and having like a limited power of attorney forever and it all allows us to make thin deals work that you know a lot of sellers can't do 50 cents on a dollar but they could do 75 cents on a dollar because they know that you're going to need to spend like 10 cents and then you're going to make a 15 cent profit minus we also pay their transfer taxes and closing costs and we do our own disposition via a flat fee agent. So we, all we do is pay a buyer's commission, a buyer's agent commission. So we pay for all of that and lay that out to our seller. And they're really happy because honestly, they don't really like, there's a lot of people who don't like realtors, which is insane to me, but they exist. And that's kind of like a good chunk of our business. I think 80% of our business right now is innovation and 20% is strictly cash wholesale in investor deals. It's an interesting, it's an, you know, we talk about niches and I think we've already talked about niches just since we started recording this podcast and, and you found one, and this is not a, a wholesaling method that I'm familiar with now, you know, full disclaimer, I'm not a wholesaler. So maybe if I was a wholesaler, maybe I'd heard of this method before, but I've never heard of a wholesaler taking a power of attorney and then essentially taking kind of possession of the house in a way and, and doing all of these renovations and, and then selling it for a much higher price. As a seller, if I had two guys in the room, this wholesaler that was a cash wholesaler who says, hey, I'm going to buy your property and gives me a, a, you know, and I find out later that they're, not, they're just trying to, you know, flip it for a quick buck. And then I had Jesse sitting in the room who's like, hey, look, I'm not going to buy your property. I'm going to fix it up. I'm going to sell it for a premium and make a lot of money on it. But I'm also going to get you more money as the seller. Is that okay with you? I would go with you in a heartbeat. I think that's a great, a great sales pitch, I guess, for lack of a better term, um, to, to somebody. If I, like I said, I, I would absolutely do something like that. So cheers to you guys for, for figuring that out. Um, I, I'm curious cause I know that you own, you own, you know, real estate on your own as well, or maybe with partners. So how difficult is it to juggle that personal portfolio when you're also running a business that has six employees and trying to, you know, do this wholesale game? So I wouldn't say that I have perfectly managed property management by no means, kind of far from it. Honestly, my portfolio is not completely optimized. If anything, it may pay for all its own bills and then a little bit on top of that. But I also have a quadplex that pays for my living expenses. It could be better. But my main focus right now is building the company and making sure that everyone who is in the company believes in it and has given this portion of their life towards it that they are successful in their roles so that's more of my priority right now than it is to stabilize and maybe maximize what i have going on but honestly i don't have bad tenants at all i kind of coming from a relative construction background we gutted most of our units renovated most of it so i don't have many calls at all from tenants if anything i get like one every other month which is ridiculous for like 20 units but it just is what it is and i run three airbnbs within that portfolio so it cash flows like nicely you know i have like a good um let's go i have like a good 
mix of long-term rentals and short-term rentals to balance out my risk and exposure. So I really want to get into how you acquired those properties and kind of the route. I think first though, in terms of the process of your wholesaling, your uh, novation wholesaling, can you talk us through like from picking up a customer to the sale? Can you talk us through that, that process and how that works with your team? Yeah, of course. Today we actually signed two deals, which is really cool. <laughs> it doesn't really happen like that all the time, but I'm really <laughs> proud of today. So Generally, you know, we get leads through text message, mailing, a pay-per-click, any type of marketing channel. And for the most part, if somebody raises their hand and says, yes, I want to sell my house, they become a lead within our system in which we follow up with them until they get to a point in which they hit this thing called actionability, which is like, yes, I'm ready and able to sell my house right now. So there's actually five things that we look for before we qualify a lead and go out to their house. It's this thing called Emota, E-M-O-T-A. So it's equity, motivation, uh, ownership, timeline, and actionability. Equity being like, do they have enough equity in order to even sell to us? And then motivation is like, why do they even need to sell? And then ownership is like, who else is a decision maker? Or who else could be a deal killer? Timeline is like, is it within 30 to 90 days or six months? Like, what is the timeline? And then actionability is like, if we made you an offer right now, would you even be able to accept that offer? Like, are you able to take action on this offer? Because sometimes, you know, in this high interest rate environment, people don't have anywhere really to go. <laughs> and they, it's hard to even find a rental sometimes. So they may have everything else besides actionability and they can't be our client right now. And then after that, we would schedule an appointment, go out to them, run a whole sales process in order to understand what their current needs are, where their current struggles, listen to them, ask questions, and ultimately think of it as we're here to serve you more than get something for ourselves. And if we take care of you, and as long as, you know, uh, we're, you know, we're doing the balance, running the numbers and making an offer that is fair for both us and you, we can make a deal. So it, it just depends. Sometimes it is, it is the cash offer that works best for them because they need to be in and out of there fast and they need the money to do something. Then other times it's just like, I actually don't need the money right now, but I can wait, uh, you know, two, three more months and you can pay me 10 to 15 or $20,000 more. Like, yeah, I think that offer sounds pretty good to me. So when doing a novation offer, we find out two things that they can offer us in exchange for more money. It is more access to the property, which is basically giving it to us vacant or in order for us to do our work and in order to improve it, as well as longer timeline. So if we can have those two things, we can instantly pay them more money. Yeah, and from that point on, that's the acquisition process gets passed over to me in which I do the disposition where I call them, contact them, let them know that, hey, I'm taking over from this point, trying to get you to your end result in which our acquisition had talked to you about. Uh, my transaction coordinator will contact you as well. Uh, just make sure that, hey, everything on the title, the payoff end is taken care of. But for the most part, me as disposition, it's my responsibility to make sure you get to where you need to be and this house gets sold. and 
my company is able to generate the revenue and then you as the seller got everything that we promised you. I love it. I think that's a great idea. And as far as the disposition side of things go, are you listing at this point or are you guys selling direct, uh, you know, from your own website? How does that work exactly? List on MLS, syndicate it to Zillow, Realtor, Redfin, everywhere. Now, do you guys do you guys have an in-house realtor or is that you? Or do you guys actually use a brokerage that's local to list on, on your behalf? Uh, we use Housio.com. So oh. we'll spend about $400 in order to list it. And then we get this additional uh, upsell called showing time, which makes the showing process a lot more efficient. So that's only 25 extra dollars. Nice. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. I, you know, this is, this is interesting. I just, I, I love learning about the way other people run their businesses. I, I have, I wasn't familiar with this particular process and um, I'm, I'm really happy that this is something that's becoming, you know, been super successful for you guys. Um, so I, I guess, I mean, we're, we're just flowing through the conversation here. So we're, we're taking up a lot of your time. I want to continue on cause we got a lot more questions, but um, back to uh, back to your own personal portfolio. When you're, when you're looking for places now, since you're on the wholesale side of things, does that give you the opportunity to get the kind of the first pick of the litter? So if you find something you're like, oh man, this would fit real nice in my portfolio. Do you actually close on some of these and keep these yourself? Or is this something totally separate where you're out shopping as an everyday buyer? It does open up doors in order to see deals before anybody else sees deals. But currently in the interest rate environment, kind of sucks can't really bird deals the way you used to bird deals and just get rich instantaneously. <laughs> Nowadays, um, a really good strategy that we like is creative finance through subject to, or if somebody's able to get us a hundred percent financing through like carrying a small piece of the note, it's called like a piggyback mortgage. So like 20, 30% where we get the bank loan for 70% or 80%. Then we can get a fully 100% leveraged asset and pay off for time, and we can negotiate the small uh, piggyback mortgage to be a zero percent mortgage. And honestly, it makes the numbers really good when you have an eight percent mortgage, and then on 70% of the debt, and then 30% of the debt is zero percent. You know, your effective interest rate is like 4.5 or 5 5.0 or something like that. It's it's pretty ridiculous. So there's a lot of creative ways that if you can structure your deals and you can find the sellers where that strategy does work, I'm taking deal, those deals down all day. I just haven't had one lately. Mainly we've been focusing on the innovation, just focusing on our niche. And if the opportunity does come, we'll address it as they come in. I'm curious how you, how you approach somebody for, for a deal like this. So like a, for a second mortgage or the piggyback, like you were talking about. 100% finance or sorry, 0% interest on, on a, you know, hundred percent of a second note. That's something that I, I don't see very often. And it sounds like maybe you don't see super often either. How do you no. pitch that? Because like, you know, this is probably my own, my own <laughs> shortcoming where I'm just like, gosh, I don't even know. I don't even know Same. if I have the guts to ask for 0%, but I guess what you're looking for is a super motivated seller. Somebody that just wants this thing off of their books. So is that typically what you're looking for? And how do you, how do you even ask that question? So if somebody is looking for a little bit of an unrealistic price, you know, it could probably work with them. And honestly, the way that it comes about, it's like we frame it in the sense that we're putting like 70, 80% down. Because what people think of when they think seller finance is like, oh, you give me 
10 to 25% down and I'll carry the other 75% of the mortgage. Well, that's a lot more risk for them and a lot less risk for us. Whereas, okay, what if I got you 70% of your money today and it's like 30% could you carry on the back end? Could we structure some type of balloon? Or I try to ask for as much as we as we can. So 15 years, 20 years on that back end, get residual payments or interest only or whatever. I mean, even go the way that you structure 0% interest payments with people generally is talking about the amortization schedule or just talking about the payments and just like brushing over rather than talking about the actual interest rate because it's like, you may be focused on that, but that's not what they're focused on. They're focused on their price. So if you can give them their price and you can even give them 70, 80% down through your fine, your bank financing, it's not that bad of a deal, especially if you're able to reassure them that they're secured in their second position and we can write the terms out through promissory note in which, hey, let's record a quick claim deed held in escrow. And if I'm late on payments, I get you know, 30 to 60 days to remedy and get myself caught back up. And if it's past those 90 days, you could just file a quick claim deed, take possession of the property, and you could just resell it. You know, and you already got your 70, 80% of the money back. So then now you get the property back and you can resell it again, however you want. So I, I was exactly thinking Kyle's previous question, which was, how do you, how do you have that conversation? How do you approach that? Now I'm going to pivot a little bit, which is how do you personally learn this kind of stuff and then the strategies to kind of implement it? So learning that process is cool. Learning how to sell that process to a seller is really interesting. Yeah. Can you repeat the question for me? Yeah, I, I guess so. In terms of how did you learn the tactics and then how did you learn how to sell the tactics to, to a seller? Yeah, Kyle and I got this friend. His name is Trevor, who's actually in Oregon as well. He's in Salem. <laughs> and this is the guy is like 26 years old with 100 plus units in like, most of his stuff is leveraged 95% and up and in which up. he creates, yeah, you're right. Yeah. He, he creates the equity through the value add process. And then eventually he'll have 20, 25% equity, but then he gets into a deal for super low amount. He does everything through partnerships. So he owns like 40 to 50% of his portfolio. And he works with another guy who owns a project management company in which they have all the systems that you could ever dream about. It's like 3,000 plus units under management. The guy has 1,000 units of his own. Like He has LeBron on his team, basically. And he had taught me exactly what he did. It didn't really make sense to me until I was put in the position that I was just like, oh, one of my friends from the gym, he's a realtor, and he had this off-market listing that was coming on in the next week. And I like the location, but I wanted to like just make an offer on it. But it's like, I don't. I don't really have money to put on a half a million dollar house right now. I I like where I live, honestly. It was and in the current position that I'm in, and with the interest rates where they are, I don't really want to get into that type of um, you know commitment in terms of the mortgage and the note. So I was just like, hey, if they take this offer for seventy thirty, you know, then I'll I'll buy the house. But if they don't, is whatever. So I'm just. I'm not really committed or um, I'm not really that invested in the actual property besides I'm just going to spit all my offers out there and whoever accepts it, 
then fine be it, you know, I'll take the property. <laughs> so making as many offers as you possibly can and someone will, will bite. Yeah. And that's kind of the, that's kind of the game. <laughs> and we, I think we're there at, at that, you know, it's, you get that sort of thing depending on what market cycle you're in. Right. And, and we're at that part where I feel like, you know, kind of, uh, I don't know, for lack of a better, better word, you, you got to throw shit at the wall and see what sticks. Right. You know, <laughs> we're in the season of ballsy offers. Is what yeah, saying. we are because nothing makes <laughs> sense on a finance from a financial standpoint. And True. so now you're looking most, most investors, including myself are just looking for whatever has been listed for the longest. And if it makes, you know, we can get it to a point where it makes sense. And I hate to be that lowbrow investor who's just like, well, you know, take it or leave it. It's like, yeah, but you know, we, it's difficult to, to have that, that really close relational type of transaction when, you know, prices have not come down, but borrowing costs have gone way, way up. And that's, but if you're solving a problem, Kyle, you can't look at it in a negative, right? right? If, if it's a win, it's, you're looking for the win-win. You're, right. you're not looking to go in and just give them the, the lowest right. price possible. Uh, but I think for a lot of, yeah. for a lot of investors, we we don't want to be we're coming out of a a super competitive market we went from a outrageously competitive market to one that's it's still competitive but it's not like it was before and so we're still kind of tiptoeing around trying not to offend anybody right at least i am you know that's something that's really difficult to get over it's like okay well if it does flip over to a buyer's market then well we have a little bit more freedom to be able to make these these offers and still get them accepted and i i think we're there i i do the same thing that you do jesse where it's you know, I'll look at something and I can just look at it within 30 seconds and be like, this is crap. I'm not going to be able to buy this at this price, you know, not with a tr traditional bank financing. I'll throw them anything, you know, I'll give them their price, but I mean, it's going to take a lot of terms on their part. And we, we just kind of, we kind of roll with that. So I, I get where you're saying on that. That makes, that makes a lot of sense. Um, was, what, what's next for you guys? You know, as far as your, your business is concerned, how are you going to continue scaling this thing up? Um, you have big plans for the wholesale side. Yeah, for sure. So this year, it's kind of rough Q1, honestly. Uh, we had like seven flips going on at the same time, and probably five of them were empty at all times, which is unfortunate. And we had to sell, probably had to sell them all basically at losers or between me and my partner made like 10, 15 grand across all of them, which suck, eat up a whole quarter of time. Second quarter was loading up the pipeline um, and not really closing very much. And then Q3, uh, which we're nearing the end of, we're seeing, starting to see, see deals close and starting to see life back in our business because this business, uh, you know, uh, I think we closed the third novation for this year today and it was a $40,000 profit. And that that's really good for us. And for the next like three, four weeks, we actually have a closing either one or two per week. So everything's starting to hit and we're stuffing the pipeline now for September and October inventory. So we're starting to find a lot of traction in doing that. And if we hit our numbers the way that we're supposed to hit them, we're supposed to finish at like 800,000 in revenue for the year, which is not unattainable. And then next year we'll go for 1.2, following year we'll go for 1.6. And, you know, I think one of the biggest differences is whom we um, hire in terms of a business coach, because there are, you know, EOS uh, process implementers. There are people in that world. Uh, not we're currently operating off of you know EOS, which is based off of the Traction book. It's a business operating system, but we have other people in the Collective Genius who also do operating system implementation, in which 
if we can get better as operating within as a business and improve with our communication and accountability and being very clear with our vision and buy-in and you know everything that makes a business a business, I think we can do more than whatever growth that I'm even speaking of right now. But you know, I've been overly optimistic in the past and I don't like to just overshoot and underperform. And then it kind of discourages everybody, even though we did better than we did before, it's way better to underpromise, over deliver and just, hey, set these realistic goals and then, you know, do the best that you possibly can in order to, you know, contribute towards an exponential growth. But at the same time, you know, you, you gotta have that consistency. You can't be inconsistently extraordinary and and then just like produce extraordinary results once in a while. You gotta be consistently you know, uh, positive, right? I don't know. I, I would almost say that uh, Elon Musk might actually disagree with you on that because uh, he consistently overpromises and underdelivers, and everybody loves him. So, <laughs> oh, wait. So, was SpaceX the blip or is Twitter the blip? Like, which yeah, is, is know, it plus man. or minus? That's the question. Yeah, I hear you. Um, Jesse, I do have one more question for you. Cause one thing we didn't really touch on so much was, was the, I mean, we talked about education obviously, which was pre real estate for you for the most part. Um, I like to ask people, what was the most impactful for you as far as education is concerned? We'll stick to the real estate space. So, you know, I, I understand that rich dad, poor dad was a big, a big, uh, a big piece of that, but masterminds or conferences, what is it that you think has made the biggest impact on where you are at? So currently speaking for where I am at, there's two things to it. There is the practical side of my business, in which we have a mastermind that we go to, which is called the Collective Genius. And we also have a coaching program that we are part of, which is wartime CEO with a guy named Ren Bartlett, Clint Cooper. You know, they're in Atlanta slash Alabama. And Ren was part of a company that did a thousand deals just last year. And I think they're going to do since Ren joined this new company, I think they're going to do 600, 700 deals this year. And it's a pretty small coaching group, which is awesome because we have like direct access to Ren and him and I are friends and Clint and I are also friends. So that's been really good. The Collective Genius Mastermind, like the minimum amount of deals that you, you got to do to get into uh, where I was at was 25. And now they got like somewhere, they have a uh, a segment where it's like 10 to 25. And then there's also another level, which is a hundred plus deals per year. That's called the premier level. And then personally, in terms of, in terms of dreaming big and thinking differently and being a better leader, it was, it was where you and I met Kyle, you know, being with Brandon and, and Taro, those guys, the way that they think build relationships, um, think, and build relationships and build businesses is pretty extraordinary. And it's not just so much all this like rah rah, like get you hype type of stuff, as much as like these are people who have reputation of taking action and building things within their life. And then they come to a point where it's just like, what else is there still out there for me to accomplish or achieve? Or what else can I do that? Um, impacts me that makes me feel like i'm doing my part in this world it's like a lot more deeper questions in soul searching which leads me to then you know 
think of the next big idea in which I get the people around me um, and see who really wants to go down that direction with me. And then which if we do accomplish that, that's something significant way beyond making money and profits and um, honestly, just getting more business and increasing my lifestyle is way more important than that. I think that's one of the big things that uh, I really value in being part of that group is that people really value those relationships and they really value the things that matter most in this life, which, you know, can be our friends and our family, or it can be, you know, um, whatever we really believe in, invest our time and uh, our energy into. Very good. I love that. That's such a great answer. And I think that kind of got us full circle, right? To, to kind of the start of our conversation. So, uh, hey, that's, that's like a feature of our podcast now, Kyle, I think. It's circular thinking. Love, no, that's not good. No, no, it's just that. that no, you're right. Absolutely. <laughs> Jesse, how can people get in touch with you? Yeah. So people can find me on Instagram at the Jesse Wynn. They can also find me on Facebook at Jesse Wynn. They can also look up our podcast at Not Genius Podcast on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. And we generally talk about, or we have conversations with entrepreneurs local in Delaware as well as nationally. And, you know, we've been talking to a lot of real estate people as well because that's just the industry that uh, we're in. But we talk to them about mindset as well as um, where was that pivot point in their life that shot them in this trajectory to build the life that they live to this day? And what are the things that they really care about that becomes their deeper why to why they want to do business. So yeah, that's the Nye Genius Podcast. Love it. Yeah, check it out. Um, and uh, yeah, worth worth visiting. Jesse, thank you so much uh, for your time today. Really appreciate it. And I got a ton out of that conversation. It's quite it's quite grounding, but quite kind of motivating and, and exciting as well. So uh, we're, we're, we're super excited to have you on and thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thanks a lot, John, Kyle. Appreciate it. Thank you, Jesse. And we'll be back next week. Thank you for listening to Invest Stories. If you like what you've heard, please consider sharing and writing a five-star review. 